The Bachelors Club by Israel Zangwill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Keith Salas. The Bachelors Club, Section 1. Prologue. Of the Bachelors, Their Beliefs and Bylaws, and a Caution. Bachelors Club was a club in which all the members, without exception, were bachelors, but this was its only eccentricity. The committee rightly thought that they had sacrificed enough to oddity in excluding persons who were willing to subscribe to the exchequer of the club, but not to its principles. The principles of the club may be summed up in its axiom that marriage was a crime against a woman for which no punishment, not even exclusion from the club, could be sufficiently severe. The conditions of membership were four. No member must follow a profession involving celibacy. No member must ever have had a disappointment in love. No member must be under thirty. No duly elected member must use a latch-key. It was incumbent upon all candidates to deposit with the secretary two independent certificates of non-marriage, each signed by a householder, married, who had known the candidate from the cradle, and, furthermore, to make oath that they held the marriages of other men, and especially of their fathers, to be failures. The respectable married householder had to fill up a printed blue form containing the following six questions. 1. What is the full name of the candidate? 2. What is his age? 3. How long have you known him? 4. Has there ever been any matrimony or tendency to matrimony in his family? 5. Has he ever had a disappointment in love? 6. Is his celibacy compulsory? Number 3 was rather a trap, as by a simple comparison of the replies to it and to number 2, the secretary could ascertain whether the certifier had really known the candidate from the cradle. Some babies are so precocious that one cannot be too careful. In early editions of the celibate catechism, which were preserved in the annals of the club, Number five ran simply, Has he ever been married? But the inadequacy of this was early perceived. Though a candidate had never committed matrimony, he might have committed himself in other ways to the matrimonial heresy. Has he ever been in love was tried and found even less comprehensive, plausible as it looked at first sight. A negative answer, it was perceived, by no means excluded the possibility of the candidate having married any number of times and women whether in oriental simultaneity or in occidental sequence. The form finally chosen, has he ever had a disappointment in love, was thought to cover every possible case, whether of incipient or developed matrimony in the candidate's part. If a man had loved but not married, the disappointment in love was obvious. If he had loved and had married, the disappointment in love was more obvious still. Thus it will be seen that the bachelors spared no trouble to confine the privileges of the club to gentlemen who had a clean record, and whose discussion was free from the suspicion that their ever having had honorable intentions towards any woman whatsoever. The sixth question furthermore ensured that they were bachelors out of pure love. Priests, junior bank clerks, and others are sometimes required to remain single, and in such celibacy there is obviously no virtue. As for the provision against use of latch-keys, every member had to give his word of honor that, in the event of his refusing to go home till morning, 
you would always on arrival knock or ring or do both if so requested by the device on the doorpost the reason for fixing the age of bachelorhood in the esoteric sense at thirty was based upon the scientific fact that celibacy in earlier years is too common to be the touchstone of an elevated soul it had been originally determined to frame a condition to exclude those who had ever taken part in the marriage ceremony but on reflection it was decided not to keep the best men out of the club nor to fail in respect for the cloth should the various documents oaths and assurances be satisfactory a matter on which the secretary reported before a general court of members a candidate was permitted to be seconded for election no member was ever proposed as the word was held too redolent of evil associations as soon as a candidate was seconded he paid his entrance fee and his annual subscription and became entitled temporarily to the privileges of the club including a vote as the presence of one white ball amid the black was held to constitute sufficient desire on the part of the club for the new recruit the candidate was generally elected connected with the club was a small benefit society by paying a trifle extra with their monthly subscription members could insure their single lives the treasurer and actuary moses fitzwilliams whose second cousin had been a senior optime had drawn up tables showing the average duration of the male single life but as the ordinary agamobiological statistics were considerably modified by the superior single vitality of the members the sum assured to be paid on marriage was very large in proportion to the installments thus the unfortunate wife of a departed bachelor received a very pretty penny in compensation in practice the scheme did not work well just as some heavily insured husbands generously die for the benefit of their widows so one or two bachelors quixotically married for the benefit of their wives it did not happen often for such generosity is rare but it was a difficulty the very first night i visited the club felix aurority had a motion on the paper recommending the invalidation of the policy in cases of wilful matrimony such as suicide rendered ordinary life assurance null and void out of respect for aurority it was referred to the executive committee and so it passed decently into oblivion i may as well mention here that the rules regulating the admission of visitors were two and two only one no married gentleman admitted two no unmarried lady admitted it was plain that if married men were admitted the virgin purity of the atmosphere and its freedom from the reeks of domesticity would be threatened while if unmarried ladies were allowed access to the symposia the single-mindedness of the members might be impugned and their attentions misconstrued into intentions of course the advisability of admitting ladies was never for a moment in question it was universally felt that to isolate themselves from the society of women was the surest means of shrouding her in a halo just as on the other hand free communion with her was the safest prophylactic against affection nevertheless in spite of the exclusion of their husbands ladies rarely availed themselves of the opportunity of visiting that unknown animal the bachelor in his native haunts to distinguish the waiters from the members who many a morning turned up in evening dress it was insisted upon that they should belong to the lower caste of married men the head waiter owed his supremacy over the rest of the staff to having served a term of years for bigamy though on the other hand the rest of the staff had the consolation of feeling that he was nearer to the bachelor caste than his superior 
the steward was a dusky Indian, who had married at the age of three. The apartments of the club were situated in Leicester Square, so that the Alhambra and the Empire Music Halls were within easy walk, at least during the early part of the evening, when conversation languished at the club for scarcity of members, a few faithful bachelors frequently repaired on a body to these temples of the ballet, to save the gas and the fires, only going back to the club that night if they picked up sufficient members at the temples to make it worth while. In many cases the fortunate waiters, who were expected to sleep on the building and did so at every opportunity, had the club to themselves for hours together, although these hours of idleness were usually small. The premises were neither palatial nor inadequate. They consisted of two rooms, communicating with each other by rather loud remarks. The one you entered first, if you had been careful to ascend two flights of stairs instead of one, was the smoking-room, but though members always smoked in the other and smaller room, because a pipe was more of a luxury there on account of the placard proclaiming no smoking allowed. As all the bachelors were members of the Anti-Anti-Tobacco League, and were never without a pipe or cigar in their mouths, except when brushing their teeth of a morning, and as the cosy little room also contained the bar, it came about that the better half of the club was always deserted by the members, as was perhaps only consistent. It was, however, generally occupied by the waiters, who retired there not to be in the way when members were getting their drinks from the bar. This was rather hard upon the poor married fellows on account of the misogamous text with which the walls of the room were hung. Fortunately, custom dulls the edge of environment, else the revised decalogue in which thou shalt not marry replace the more conventional form of the seventh commandment might have procured them incessant conscience ache. In time they bore with equanimity the most hateful aphorisms, and occasionally dusted them. These dogmas were the work of the secretary, Mandeville Brown. Here are the worst of them. There is nothing half so sweet in life as the awakening from love's young dream. Marriage is egotism on a sociable, bachelorhood altruism on a bicycle. At seventeen a woman's heart is affected, at twenty-seven her affection. Merit makes the man worth the woman. Man proposes and woman poses. Love is the only excuse for marriage, and it is not an excuse that will wash or wear well. You can give your heart to a woman for life, but who can guarantee that she will not lose it? The truest chivalry to the woman who loves you is to leave her a spinster. A love marriage is a contradiction in terms. Marriage is a sacrament of souls and a profession for women. Good conduct may lessen the term of other life sentences, but bad conduct is the only curtailer of marriage. Marriage is a man-trap. There are three things which every good wife detests in her secret heart, tobacco, a faithful income tax return, and her husband. The only true love is love at first sight. Second sight dispels it. Love cannot be bought or sold. Traffic requires realities. Marriages are made in heaven, but this brand is not exported. Genius should only marry genius, and no woman is a genius. Marriage is as fatal to the higher life as the higher life is fatal to marriage. 
by the very conditions of the higher bachelorhood few of these articles of faith could have been the legitimate offspring of experience hence the veneration in which they were held by the sect they were sacred and beyond inquiry a precious heirloom to be handed down from bachelor to somebody else's son in holy apostolic succession another mural ornament deserves mention it was a sort of fresco consisting of a great black-edged oval on either side of which flew allegorical figures of diana and tolstoy weeping at the head was inscribed in sombre letters the words here lied which surmounted the names of the married and gone apostates a small proportion of the space was filled for the club had naturally been a little unsettled in its origin now however that it had studied itself we felt sure that it would maintain its equilibrium and that the gaps would be left forever gaping there were only twelve bachelors the club was foolishly superstitious and dreaded the fatal presage of matrimony if ever thirteen of the members should be present at once limiting their number to twelve effectually blocked this possibility i need not say that these twelve men or eleven to affect modesty were considerably above the average in intellect that is implied in the fact of their membership when i joined the club which was on the thirty-first of december some six months or so after its formation it was constituted as follows andrew mcillicuddy founder and president moses fitzwilliams treasurer mandeville brown honorable secretary these three formed the committee the others were osmond bethel israel mondego elliot de Grey, henry robinson joseph fogson m d b s c felix aurority oliver green caleb twinkletop and last but not least myself of these self-chosen spirits several had won celebrity or lost it in literature science or art most of those who had done neither were trying to we were all full of humor good and bad for when the wine was in the wit was out and could not be restrained though some of us were poor and two of us were old the majority were well-to-do and in their prime to boot as a rule our hearts were light and our pockets heavy and we took no care for the morrow beyond staying up for it the new year dawned upon no merrier dozen that which quaffed the cup of good fellowship and puffed the pipe of peace and vowed eternal friendship and celibacy to those dear and expensive old rooms in leicester square strange to say i owed my chance of election to the duodecimal system which prevailed at the club for it indirectly opened the door to the ejection of willoughby jones into whose shoes i stepped poor willoughby you may read of his crime in the matrimonial columns of the daily wire but what drove him to it has never before picked its way into print willoughby jones had got the idea that if twelve good men and true could be packed into a box a room was quite enough for a bachelor's dozen so he seconded a motion that the large room be sublet and the staff of waiters and the subscription be reduced by one-half those who were present have told me individually and in confidence that they will never forget the indignation with which this secondation was received by the others though speaking for themselves it seemed eminently reasonable they were not however the men to go against the sentiment of the majority and declared hotly that the dignity of the club required at least two rooms to spread itself over 
Besides, as the only way to the inner room lay through the outer, it was felt that when the tenant moved in, grave complications might ensue, especially if he were a domesticated or a musician. Or Willoughby tried hard to argue that if the tenant were a musician, he would probably be an Italian, so that there would be no necessity for him to practice his revolutionary music at home. But he had a weak case. As for lowering the subscriptions, the bachelors unanimously thought, the others thought, such an idea could only occur to a low-minded fellow, who might be expected to turn recreant some day, and they did not hesitate to express one another's opinions. The fiery cross-eyed Moses Fitzwilliams openly taxed him with flabby convictions, whereupon the unfortunate young man lost his head, and defied them all, and confessed that he had cherished the grand passion all along, and was looking about in his spare hours for a woman to fit it on to. It was a scene to be remembered, and the atmosphere was tense with emotion. Willoughby Jones stood with his curly head thrown back, in the attitude of Ajax defying the telegraph wires, or an early Christian father, if you can call a bachelor a Christian father, inviting the lions to breakfast. For a moment the members were paralyzed. It was as if a government bombshell had fallen at their feet and then exploded. Being bachelors, they were not used to being defied and having their sacred emotions trampled upon. They opened their mouths, but nothing issued from their lips except their pipes, which fell unheeded on the floor. At last a member was sent to fetch the president, who was unfortunately absent at the hour of crisis. After a long and fruitless search, it struck the envoy that McGillicuddy might be at home where indeed he was and in his beauty sleep but he rose to the occasion and drove to the club where he at once prescribed marriage or the payment of the arrears of willoughby's subscription willoughby's eye was seen to light up as though it were a member in the room where smoking was not allowed but he said nothing except anything was preferable to being out of debt when it was too late the bachelors remembered that he was heavily insured Later in the day, about 9 a.m. to be precise, a lady was hunted up by the accommodating headwaiter. It was the lady who had denounced him for marrying another lady before her, and had thus procured him five years of state-supported celibacy. Against her he had long cherished an unreasonable grudge. Everything comes to him who waits, and the headwaiter was at last rewarded by seeing his widow, by a former marriage, married off to the owner of the unattached grand passion. When the curly locks he had thrown back were entirely a memory, Willoughby pleaded hard to be allowed to rejoin the club, but the rules were inexorable. He, however, found salvation by the side door, for the bylaws admitting married men as waiters. Willoughby donned his dress suit and installed himself in the outer chamber, where, as nobody enter interfered with him, and he was never called upon to execute an order, he grew in time to be indistinguishable from the other waiters and the members forgot that he had ever occupied the social position of a bachelor. He soon got reconciled to seeing his name under the funeral. Here lied, and as the club hours were from sunrise to sunset and vice versa, he settled the assurance money upon the headwaiter's first widow, and was regular and punctual in the discharge of his club duties, highly satisfied with retaining a position in the bachelor's club and cheerfully continuing to neglect his subscription in lieu of salary. But from that day to this, no member of the Bachelor's Club has ever cherished a grand passion, whether for women in the abstract or ladies in the concrete, which is a record to be proud of. CAUTION 
in writing the bachelors club i have not so much had in view the public interest as my own while i have carefully endeavored to free the book from anything instructive i have not shrunk from making it amusing even at the risk of being taken seriously and if i succeed in making only one reader laugh i shall have written wholly in vain the subject of the work is one that is full of interest especially to readers of either sex and i venture to hope that i have treated it as well as it deserves the book is hereby dedicated to the bachelors and maidens of the world in the hope that they will each buy a copy and recommend its purchase to their married friends it may be as well to state that the work does not libel any of the existing bachelors clubs in particular but all the others an index to the jokes is in preparation and will be forwarded to all the professional humorists on application in writing to the publishers some of these jokes have already appeared in ariel and i have to thank myself for my kind permission to reproduce them i regret that there should be some puns amongst them as they will be a difficulty to the chinese translator but he may rely on my cordial cooperation i have also to apologize to my critics for this book not being some other book though it shall not occur again as my next book will be in conclusion i have to acknowledge my indebtedness to my friend and fellow bachelor mr m d edder for numerous valuable suggestions whatever the reader or the critic does not like in this work mr edder suggested i z and of section one